Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's May 18th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by John McCormick of the Weekly Standard, who is speaking to me from the summit at the Broadmoor. Uh, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it very much, John. Thanks for having me. So what's going on at the Broadmoor? Just give me just an overview of the kinds of things that you're talking about, debating. There, I, I, have, I haven't heard any, any you know, re- re- reports of, of bloodshed or anything. No, it's a it's a lovely place. Uh, you know, it's honestly the nicest uh, hotel I've been to, uh, really anywhere. And I'm not just saying that because our owner owns it. It really is uh, spectacular. And I had to miss the uh, cocktail hour last night because I was reporting a little story on the Trump administration. Uh, we just got done with a panel talking about uh, what it's like covering Trump's Washington, the chaos, how it's different from previous administrations, sort of. Uh, you know, weighing the good and the bad of the policy versus, uh, you know, the long-term questions about how Trump is changing the Republican Party. So uh, off to a good start, but just the beginning. Well, I want to talk to you about that story, uh, which is which is highly significant uh, that the Trump administration is going to move to cut off funding for for Planned Parenthood. But there's, of course, a lot of other breaking news, including yet another school shooting down in Texas. Uh, The report that I'm seeing right now, which will change by the time people listen to this podcast, is the perhaps eight dead. And look, you know, I, I, I've said this before, but I, do, I don't think I can express the depth of my loathing for the conversations that take place after one of these incidents. It, it feels like this endless loop, a groundhog day of the same arguments. And sure enough, here I am repeating myself <laughs> again. Uh, and, and of course, uh, the, the question that everybody asks is, well, will, will this change anything? And even though we've had one horrific incident after another, it does seem that everybody is set and it's going to be the same talking points on both sides. Um, I don't know whether you want to have any comment on this, John, because it's it. Um, you know, it's, I, 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 I genuinely do think um, it is harmful to our 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 politics, our country to get into these uh, vicious arguments in the 24 hours after yes. these shootings. I do think that there is, I mean, after the congressional, you know, the you know, members of Congress were uh, nearly assassinated uh, in mass, uh, you know, we, we did come together. And I think that's because we didn't want to have a finger pointing, um, you know, about, about Democrats. I'm, I'm getting into politics already. Yeah. I, I apologize, but I do think it is healthy. Um, you know, to take a moment to figure out the details on the ground, uh, to mourn the dead, and to then, and I'm not saying we can't have serious, substantive uh, debates about policy. I think we can and we should. I think they should be grounded in facts and not emotion. I think that people um, who advocate for various uh, gun control policies need to explain specifically whether that policy would or would not have prevented or uh, a mass shooting or diminished the um, the number who were shot. Um, these are all important conversations. I think that there are other conversations besides simply uh, gun control uh, that are policy questions. And um, I, I, these are all important debates, but I genuinely do believe, and, and not just to, to dodge the issue and say, oh, we don't want to talk about gun control after these horrific shootings. I just right. do think it is, it is healthy to, to take a moment, to take 24 hours to figure out what's going on. And, right. Uh, oh, yeah, and because, because it's not clear. What, what I find frustrating is that people, you know, immediately there's a report and they do the calculation 
of, you know, what narrative can I fit this into? And if it doesn't fit any specific narrative, it just drops out of the news. It just it, it just disappears and everybody uh, jumps on it. Now, ha- having violated, you know, talking about what, what you know, what, what's going on here, um, you, you, you mentioned that, you know, we immediately go to the gun control issue. Uh, there was a fascinating story. I wasn't going to even bring this up in the, in the Fort Lauderdale Sun Sentinel over the last couple of days that just talks about the breakdown in school discipline policies, which, again, I, I don't know that it has anything to do with what's going on in Texas. But I wish that we would ha- be willing to have conversations about some of these other issues as well as as simply going to the same old, same old um, I want to get to. I do want to get to uh, Rudy Giuliani the, this this morning. Are you planning on getting up early and watching the royal wedding? I have to ask that. I am not. No. Is is there anything wrong in democratic Americans, you know, who had a revolution against Britain, being absolutely totally obsessed with the royal wedding? You know, I, I, I don't. Um, I don't I go, think so. But I'm. But I'm open to. I'm open to people saying that there's a little bit of a cognitive. There's a little bit of cognitive dissonance there. I, you know, when when uh, when when I got married myself, uh, I, I told my I didn't you know like a typical uh, groom. I, I didn't really have many opinions, and I didn't really get my way about the few that I did. But one where I did was I I did declare uh, to my wife that uh, you know we fought a revolution not to spell the word honor with a superfluous u, and so in our wedding invitation we spelled honor h o n o r not h o n o u r. So I have a fairly uh, anti you know British anti monarchy. Uh, streak in me, but I think it's it's fine if people want to admire the the the, the beautiful dresses and the majesty. I'm, I don't begrudge them that. It, it it is one of those very very strange moments where you have the the connection between you know celebrity you know ogling and quasi politics. The it's a royal family, sort of the the permanent celebrities that we have in in the, in the world. And of course, you have the 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 sub theme of the fact that it's an it's an American an American commoner who is divorced of mixed race. And so, you know, it, it is an interesting, it, it is an interesting wrinkle. And of course people can, um, it, you know, either obsess about, uh, the pageantry, the history, the majesty, or about, uh, what's going on with Meghan Markle's dysfunctional family, which we're not going to be talking about here. Uh, I know that you've been in these sessions uh, all day at the Broadmoor, but, uh, Rudy Giuliani, went on CNN this morning and had a 45 minute marathon session, which was, uh, I, to use a completely overused term in the Trump era was, was bizarre, even by Giuliani standards, uh, uh, talking about what, whether or not the president, um, could, you know, could commit an act of obstruction of justice. He says, no, apparently the president, uh, uh, cannot ob- obstruct uh, justice, um, cannot uh, be subpoenaed. And uh, when Chris, Crom- uh, Chris, Chris Cuomo uh, tried to play a clip of Rudy Giuliani saying the absolute opposite point, making the absolute opposite point back in 1998, Giuliani basically talked over him the whole time. So, you know, you know, two things, you know, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess here. There was a time, I think in late 2007, when I thought it would be a good idea to support Rudy Giuliani for the Republican nomination for president. And you look at him now, and it's just the the this process of be clowning himself in, you know, for for Donald Trump. But also, 
He's not pushing a legal strategy. This whole thing has become a complete political strategy. And of course, I'm not the only person to, to say that. But we really have moved from actually being concerned about the legal process uh, to the the spin process. Um, any any thoughts about where we're at right now here on the on, on the Trump uh, war footing in regards to the, the Mueller investigation? Yeah, you know, I haven't. Uh, I had a chance to watch that Rudy Giuliani interview, um, in particular. He has definitely um, said some some interesting, unusual things. I'm not quite sure that it's very helpful to the Trump team. I do think that the, I mean they they said this. I thought this for a while. They were going to uh, use the one year mark of the investigation, which was what yesterday, uh, the 17th. Uh, to sort of say, hey, wrap it up. You know, you guys had a year, found no collusion, time to move on, which is predictable. But on the other hand, I mean, look at if you're a conservative who had no problem with the Star investigation, uh, the Whitewater investigation, you know, and its various uh, uh, forms uh, go on for six years, uh, I don't see exactly how you can say that, you know, Mueller only gets 12 months. I would suspect that things are going to wrap up fairly shortly. I think I think that they, Mueller would not want to uh, repeat the Comey problem of influencing an election with, uh, you know, his own announcements. And so I would think yeah. that they would want to uh, get this thing wrapped up. You know, they don't want to drop some like October surprise. Um, but we don't know. I mean, we, we don't know. I mean, just last night there was this report that Paul Manafort's uh, son-in-law had, uh, had flipped and, and, and made a plea deal. So we, we just don't know. And of course the latest talking point conspiracy theory is this notion that somehow the FBI planted a mole in the Trump campaign. Of course, one man's mole is another man's whistleblower. Not sure how that actually discredits the investigation. Uh, but it is interesting seeing how you have uh, Republicans in Congress, uh, pro-Trump media allies, uh, Giuliani and the president himself, all pushing this same talking point uh, about the the mole inside the campaign. And and, and I guess I, I'm, I'm stepping back and going, okay, wait, wait, you know, if in fact there was a conspiracy to attack this election, you know, if if in fact um, there there was uh, you know pay pay to play, if there was money laundering, um, if if there was some sort of of, coll- of collusion, if people are lying to the FBI, aren't those more important issues for the country than than? Whether you know what the, the 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 sources and methods were going to be. Hey, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but well, there's I, a, yeah, some, I, I, I yeah, think it's a, if I could, well, yeah, yeah. one quick point would be I think it I think it does matter whether or not this was someone who was already on the campaign who saw wrongdoing who went to the FBI or you know what was a sequence of events if the FBI sure. did you know kind of send someone along. You know, there's all sorts of important questions. I mean, even on the. Um, you know the the Carter Page warrant. I do think that it, while that was not the basis of the investigation, we know that the Papadopoulos uh, comments were. Uh, you know, it does raise important questions about you know was this information verified before it was used to open up um, the investigation. Now, it, it, apparently, I don't think it was. In subsequent renewals, it was. So I guess they got lucky. But I mean, there there are reasonable questions without being a, a complete hack uh, in the tank for Trump to say that hey, maybe maybe the FBI, you know, let's look at these things closely. Did they make mistakes? Sure. Did they, they oh. do engage in any wrongdoing themselves? Oh, I, I agree. But is it going to be dispositive um, for this investigation? And, and well, I think also, at the end of the day, what I mean, matters it, most it, is what's true. You know, I think yeah, that, well, that's, that's where I was going at. It, is the president of the United States, is the president of the United States compromised in some way by foreign powers? I mean, that's a big, important issue that we ought to know. Is there a pattern of 
of corruption at the very highest levels of the U.S. government. And yeah, I'm 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 perfectly willing to go into the you know the, the means of the FBI. And I certainly don't think that they are completely blameless, but they're sort of disproportionate. Now, um, we have some little bit of breaking news here. The uh, and I don't mean to put you on the spot because I I'm just reading this just now. But the House Freedom Caucus uh, just a few minutes ago sank a conservative farm bill. Immigration dispute with GOP leadership, killing a bill that included President Trump's push to impose work requirements on food stamp recipients. The bill went down on party lines 198 to 213 after leaders feverishly tried to flip conservative votes on the floor, even leaving the vote open for a time to try to change opponents' mind. It is a huge blow to the farm lobby and House Speaker Paul Ryan's welfare reform agenda. You know, speaking of Groundhog Day, another reminder of just how dysfunctional um, or the the non-governing majority in the House of Representatives seems to be these days. Yeah, I think Paul Ryan won't miss uh, having votes like this once he's <laughs> in retirement. Uh, having not had a chance to look at this closely, I do know that uh, there there is some real debate about you know wh- whether this welfare agenda is really going anywhere. I think the Senate thinks it's pretty yeah. much DOA there, but Paul Ryan does think it's a it's a good policy and good politics for 2018. Yeah, the the but this 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 problem of of. Uh, uh, the the Republicans having a really hard time on on a regular basis getting to two eighteen. All right, let's talk about the the story that that you had uh, that's up at the Weekly Standard that uh, you you actually you, you actually missed a uh, happy hour to to report this story uh, that uh, the the Trump administration that the Trump administration is planning to cut uh, Planned Parenthood funding. Um, tell me about that. Do they actually? plan to cut it or just simply setting in 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 in, in process uh, steps that would lead to cutting it yeah well so it's the rulemaking prog- process is a bit slow but they are I don't know if they've already announced it or if they plan announcing it in a few hours uh, a rule that would basically just enforce the existing law for this uh, the existing law on this program called title 10 which provides something like 260 million dollars annually for contraceptive and other quote-unquote family planning initiatives uh, the law itself says that these funds are not supposed to go to programs uh, where abortion is a method of family planning but for whatever reason uh, you know these executive agencies have been able to interpret or misinterpret the law for decades to allow uh, Planned Parenthood to get this money even if uh, abortions are being performed at those clinics even if it's the same staff who are performing and assisting in abortions are handing out, you know, the government-funded uh, birth control. So this is uh, a regulation that Reagan, uh, Reagan's uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services, first tried to enact, uh, got tied up in the courts, ultimately upheld. Uh, by the time it, it was upheld, uh, Bill Clinton got into office, killed it. It was never revived, uh, even under the George W. Bush administration. Okay, so let's, 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 let's go. Let's, this, yeah, I want to I go back on this because the, the, the timeline is, is fascinating here. Because as you you report, the law establishing Title X seems to be very clear, right? This was passed in 1970, and it says none of the funds appropriated shall be used in programs where abortion is a method of family planning. That seems very clear, right? It does. seems uh, crystal clear to me, but they've uh, somehow the people, the bureaucrats who 
uh, got to decide how it was actually implemented, said, well, as long as the money is not going to directly pay for a specific abortion, then that's okay. You can line the pockets uh, of an abortionist handing out, you know, filling out uh, birth control prescriptions, uh, you know, as long as, as long as that's where the money is going to. So this is, I mean, it's important to note, too, this is about, I don't know the exact percentage, but it's something like maybe 10 to 15 percent of Planned Parenthood's overall funding that, that the Trump administration can target uh, through executive action. The overwhelming majority of Planned Parenthood funding comes through the Medicaid program, and the only way you could get at that would be through congressional action, and that failed for several reasons. Uh, there was a big push after these 2015 undercover videos from the Center for Medical Progress, uh, which showed some really horrific um, uh, 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 wrongdoing at, at Planned Parenthood, the discussions of uh, essentially selling uh, the, the organs of aborted babies uh, to for-profit uh, companies. Now, Planned Parenthood says, hey, it wasn't, we didn't make a profit on this. We just, you know, got reimbursed for reasonable costs. Uh, but you see them haggling about the price. It pretty clearly seems like they're trying to uh, make money. They're, they're at least getting some funding for it. So that was a big impetus uh, for a, a real, uh, against momentum back in 2015. You had people like Lisa Murkowski uh, go um, up and, and say that they were for, uh, you know, pro-choice people say that they were for defunding Planned Parenthood. Uh, Lisa Murkowski, Joe Donnelly, Democrat from Indiana, Joe Manchin, Democrat from um, West Virginia, they flip-flopped, leaving the uh, party very hmm. closely divided. Well, so, so, so is, it, is it fair to say that, that what the Trump administration is doing right now is really essentially the same as what the Reagan administration did back in 1988 that was upheld in, in, a, in a Supreme Court decision, 5-4 decision in the case known as Rust versus Sullivan, so that there is precedent for what they're doing. Is, is that is essentially that yeah? It's it's, yeah. V- it's very close. I haven't had a chance to see the specific language. I think there's some little tweak about whether or not there can be counseling uh, regarding abortion. But um, you know, and 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 the the Trump administration they point out, hey, we're not even defunding Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood can you know they can get out of the abortion business and keep family planning funding if this is really such a small part of what Planned Parenthood does. Hey, we'll we'll keep all this money uh, continue to flow. Uh, but at the end of the day, yeah, this this does show you that sort of the legislative agenda in Congress. Has has not worked out. I mean, the the defunding Planned Parenthood in Congress it was included in every effort to uh, uh, repeal and replace mm-hmm. Obamacare. Even that you know that bill, the skinny repeal vote that came one vote uh, shy from passing in the Senate. Um, but it doesn't look very likely that Congress is going to be able to achieve this because uh, on December twelfth. Uh, of last year, Doug Jones won that special election right. and that basically flipped the Senate uh, to 51-49 opposed to defunding Planned Parenthood, even though Republicans still have a narrow majority. Uh, you've got two pro-choice, uh, pro-abortion. Senators. So this is not going to happen is what you're saying? Uh, not, not in this country. I mean, they would basically have to gain a seat yeah. uh, in, in, in 2018 if they, if they want to defund all Planned Parenthood. You know, on, on this, this timeline, uh, it, it is interesting. So, and, and I keep coming back to this, trying to figure out how, how this, this all played out. The, the, the Reagan administration interpreted Title X um, quite literally and, and tried to cut off, you know, the funding for, for, for abortions. That was held up in court. It was finally, um, it was finally affirmed. But by the time it was affirmed, of course, the Clinton administration was in power and uh, nothing was going to happen. But as you point out, this anti-abortion regulation was not reinstated by the George W. Bush administration. Uh, They had eight years to do this. This is a pro-life administration. Do you have any – why – if this is so important to the pro-life movement, 
Why did the Bush administration leave it in place? Well, it's a, it's kind of a long story. I don't know the exact reason. I think that people basically had thought it was such a big fight back in the day that it, it wasn't a top priority. I mean, they focused on things like they did reinstate, you know, this Mexico City policy, cutting off overseas funding to groups that provide abortions. Uh, they, you know, focused on judges, but, um, you know, they never really, they just didn't get around to it. I think, I think what you've got to remember here is that there's actually been a lot of progress um, among, the, among conservatives in um, educating people, at least educating Republicans and conservatives about what Planned Parenthood does and that its essential business is performing, you know, 300,000 plus abortions every year. Uh, people like Lila Rose, uh, David DeLayden, who did these undercover videos, um, they've really exposed them. I think a lot of people, I've heard pro-lifers say, oh, I didn't know Planned Parenthood did abortions. I thought they were just into contraception and helping, you know, helping women with family planning. Uh, so I do think so, that there's so, been so a under, lot under, of under Bush, it was considered kind of a third rail. It would, it would have been, you know, too, too controversial, too much of a pushback. And, and now it's, they think it's more doable more. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, Mike Pence actually brought up basically what was done in the executive action with title 10 by Trump today. He tried to advance this, um, legislatively in 2007. And I'd have to go back and look at the specific numbers, but something like, you know, almost, you know, 18 to 24 Republicans opposed defunding Planned Parenthood. I think that almost the entire house is now on board. Same thing with the Senate, you know, back maybe, uh, you know, in 2011, there were seven Republican senators who opposed defunding Planned Parenthood. Uh, today there's only two Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins. So, um, there has been a lot of progress among the Republican Party, among the conservative movement um, in, in talking about, you know, what exactly Planned Parenthood is, what it does. You know, while this only gets at this small part of Planned Parenthood's funding, you could argue that's largely symbolic. But I do think that the symbolism is important um, in the sense that, you know, if you keep telling people this is what we're going to do, we're going to move the embassy to Jerusalem, we're going to defund Planned Parenthood, you keep telling people things uh, in elections and you don't do them, it, it breeds cynicism. And so I do think it's important just to, to show people that, hey, you know, there are all these reasons why uh, defunding Planned Parenthood failed in Congress. Uh, they're very disappointing. They came very close, uh, you know, uh, with that mm. you know, skinny repeal bill, which I guess in hindsight they should have passed. Um, but and this is part and this is and this is part of the deal, right? This is part of the deal with the evangelical social conservatives who have been supportive of Trump, who have been willing to cut him slack on you know payments to to porn stars and things like that, because he in fact is going to deliver on things like this, right? I mean, this is going to be extremely popular uh, among, among many of those groups who, who will say, okay, this is why we have made this deal with Donald Trump, because look, look what we're getting. That's what a lot of them will say, you know, that like focus on policy, 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 don't look at character. I think you can tell the truth about both. I don't see why, you know, uh, yeah. anti-Trump, never Trump or Trump skeptical conservatives shouldn't say, hey, this is a legitimate mm -hmm. conservative win, if largely symbolic, and why evangelicals shouldn't say, you know, character matters in a president and, uh, you know, we shouldn't tolerate conspiracy theories or, you know, vile racial comments or, uh, you know, um, you know, more, gravely immoral behavior that the that the president has at times uh, seem to revel in publicly. I think that those things are both true, and uh, people can 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 chew gum and walk at the same time. So, so John McCormick, um, are you uh, do do you want to maintain your faith in humanity and your confidence in American democracy? I, I do. Okay, good. Then I would strongly urge you not to watch this Jimmy Kimmel video that is uh, that has gone viral on, in, on 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 Twitter, where they went out on the street and asked people to name a book, just name the title of any book, 
And <laughs> to, say, to say that it is cringeworthy is, uh, is sort of understating it. A lot of people who basically cannot name a single book or the books they name don't actually exist and who will really candidly admit that they have not read books like pretty much forever. And uh, I, I tweeted out a little while ago that when I first started watching that, I was laughing. I thought it was pretty funny. By the end of the video, I just wanted to be in a in a, in a in a in a dark room by myself, uh, perhaps with some adult beverages, because it's one of those things where you go, all the stuff that we talk about, all the things that we do, there's the world out there of people who go, yeah, I just don't even read books. <laughs> well, I'll take that under advisement, and I will I will, <laughs> I will prepare myself. So has has the uh, the debate between Stephen Hayes, uh, the editor of the Weekly Standard, and uh, Michael Anton taken place yet? That will be this afternoon. I believe it may be recorded uh, on on camera, and so hopefully it'll be up at weeklystandard.com uh, if and when we get video of that. I, I have been eagerly awaiting that, of course. Uh, Michael Anton uh, just recently left the National Security Council in, in the Trump administration, and for a lot of folks is best known uh, for writing that, uh, that over-the-top uh, Flight 93 essay right before the election which compared the 2016 presidential election to flight 93 that we were, we were all going to die. Um, the plane was going into the mountain and so we might as well storm the cabin, um, knowing that, that, that either way we would probably die because it was, it was a matter of life or death. Um, and, and, and it really became one of the, the, I, I think artifacts of the binary choice, the kind of the, uh, the, the apocalyptic binary choice, uh, that, uh, that, that framed a lot of uh, Republican votes for, for, for Donald Trump, that he was rewarded with the job. So it should be very interesting um, to see uh, what, what, uh, he and, what he and Steve talk about this afternoon. Maybe we'll be able to talk about that on Monday's podcast. John McCormick, thank you so much for taking time out to, uh, to join us. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back on Monday.